Now, I know you're disappointed that I'm coming up here because you're like, could you not preach and we could just watch the rest of that movie? I get it. Your life and my life, without a weekly Sabbath, it's like helms deep under attack and eventually the wall of your character will break down. Right? Let me say it again. Your life and my life, without a weekly Sabbath, a weekly day of rest is like helms deep under attack. And eventually, the outer defenses of your character will fall. Now, you might say, well, Fred, that seems a little bit of an exaggeration. It seems a little bit over the top. It feels like hyperbole. I don't know if that scene is, is, is really fitting. And, and Ezekiel 20, beginning in verse 12, is just for you. Listen to what the prophet writes. Speaking on behalf of God, it says, I gave them my Sabbath days of rest as a sign between them and me. It was to remind them that I am the Lord who had set them apart to be holy. But the people of Israel rebelled against me and they refused, listen to the list, they refused to obey my decrees They were as they were in the wilderness. They wouldn't obey my regulations through obedience that would have given them life and they violated my Sabbath days. So I threatened to pour out my fury on them. I made plans to utterly consume them in the wilderness, but again I held back in order to protect the honor of my name before the nations who had seen my power in bringing Israel out of Egypt. Verse 15, but I took a solemn oath again against them in the wilderness. I swore I would not bring them into the land that I had given them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most beautiful place on earth, for they had rejected my regulations, they had refused to obey my decrees, and violated my Sabbath days. Their hearts were given to their idols. Nevertheless, I took pity on them and held back from destroying them in the wilderness. Then I warned their children, right? So you're following the text. If the parents aren't going to do it, I'm going to give up on them. I'm going to turn to the next generation. Then I warned their children not to follow their parents. This is the Joshua generation. In their parents' footsteps, defiling themselves with their idols, I am the Lord your God, I told them, follow my decrees, pay attention to my regulations, and listen to what it says, and keep my Sabbath days holy. For they are a sign to remind you that I am the Lord your God. 21, the last verse, but their children too rebelled against me. They refused to keep my decrees, follow my regulations, even though obedience would have given them life, and they also violated my Sabbath days. So again, I threatened to pour out my fury on them in the wilderness. These verses are important because it reminds us what our view of Sabbath and rest is supposed to be. I, I'm of the opinion that, that forsaking a weekly day of rest for us as Christians has become like the jaywalking sin, right? I mean, who here is going to get a ticket for jaywalking? If you don't walk at the crosswalk and a, a police officer were to come up to you and get your ticket, you're going to be like, are you kidding me? You're giving me a ticket for jaywalking? I mean, I know I'm not supposed to do it, but what's the big deal? What about maybe you've gotten a parking ticket before and you're thinking to yourself, come on, there's people out here committing heinous crimes and you're going to give me a parking ticket? Nobody is going to assault your character because you've gotten a parking ticket or few. Sure, you're not supposed to do it, but is it really a big deal? And so my question is, has that become our view of Sabbath? Is, Is forsaking a weekly day of rest, has our attitude and mindset gotten to be the point where we go, you know, I know I'm supposed to, but, I mean, what's really the big deal? And then you turn to verses like Ezekiel chapter 20. 
I mean, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say to God, for us to violate this idea of rest is an abomination. Right? Look, he's comparing it to idol worship. He's comparing it to rebellion and disobedience. It's interesting, isn't it, that God keeps slipping in this idea of a weekly day of rest. Now, you might say, well, Fred, I think the emphasis there in Ezekiel 20 is not on the rest side of the Sabbath. It's on the worship side. The, the reason why God was so angry at them is not because they didn't take a nap once a week on the Sabbath day. Is that they, that they stopped worshiping me and they were worshiping other gods. Now, you You can make that argument, but the text is going to argue against you. Because the emphasis in verse 12, let's read it together. Making my case. (laughs) I gave them my Sabbath days of worship. Oh, no, no, no. That's not what it says. I gave them my Sabbath day to come and celebrate my good. No, that's not what it says. I gave them my Sabbath days of rest. Is worship a part of Sabbath? Sure. Is connecting with God a part of Sabbath? Sure. Celebrating the goodness of God part of Sabbath? Sure. But the emphasis from the very beginning has always been on this idea of a physical rest. You might say, well, Fred, rest is really the practical part of Sabbath and the spiritual parts is about me having time to be with other devoted followers of Christ or maybe to reach out to others or read my Bible. No, 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 no. Rest is just as spiritual as all of those. Rest to God is worship. That's why it's all together on the one day. Now, we're in part two of this conversation about rest, and so if you were here with us last week, then you're just kind of continuing on with us in our conversation, and if you were not, then you can listen to the podcast to catch up with us this week. But just to give you a brief little recap before we jump into our last two points as we're exploring this idea of a weekly rest is that we started last week by digging into Hebrews chapter 4. Now, now I'm not going to use Alyssa Hauser's name because that would embarrass her. But, so, you know, sometimes for our giveaways on Saturday nights, we say, it, you know, we put it up here and we say the first person to come get it can have it, right? And we, we like to see who the bold people are in the, congr- uh, in the congregation. And so Alyssa comes up during the greet time and said, I just want to know if, if that's going to be one of those things, right? Because she's, right? Isn't that good? Because she's like, I just want to know where I'm going to sit. She was doing some stretches, Right? So, so before we do the giveaway, I'm going to let her to pick out of here one thing that she can do. You can pick anything out of here that you want. Milk duds, baby. All right. Come on. Come on. You can clap. I know. Don't be a reluctant clapper. All right. So, so this is, so last week we talked about, this is our road trip slide, right? That some of you, this is how you live your life. Life for you is a road trip. You just want to get there as fast as you can. No, no matter what the cost. You're willing to get a speeding ticket. You're willing for kids to wet their pants. You don't care. You want to get, get there, right? And for some of you, that's the pace of your life. And, what we're, and, and Sabbath, part of the Sabbath is saying to us, you got to slow down. God wants us to get to where we're supposed to get to too, but he, he doesn't want us worn out by the time we get there because we're supposed to have some energy to bring to the moment that he has for us for the work that he's called us to do. So we, Vanessa, we did a little shopping. How about some road trip snacks? All right, now this is who's going to get it. This is who's going to get it, right? Who here 
was here last week, or you listen to the podcast, and this is, we do this teaching at the church at least once a year, at least once a year. Who, who's not heard this teaching before? You're hearing it for the first time, and can give me the four kinds of rests out of Hebrews 4. They all begin with a P. Can somebody give me all four? I know it's a stretch. Anybody? Anybody want to give me all four? See some people flipping through some notes? All right. I see Lydia back there counting some things on her fingers. No? All right. Okay. All right. All right. Anybody? Any takers? You can't do it. Anybody? It's got to be somebody. Solomon. Yeah, well, absolutely. You can use your notes. If you're a note taker, we reward note taking. Come on, Solomon. Bring it. There you go, sir. Nice. Very good. Of course, this is, city life is always an open book test. Come on. You're a note taker. We're, we're rewarding good behavior here at City Life. People are going to be moving, right? They're going to be coming and sitting around Solomon. They're going to guard that well. Guard that well. I would pray with your eyes open for the rest of the service if I were you. The reason why we dug around in Hebrews chapter 4 for so long last week is that, that we want to increase our rest awareness. I think one of the reasons why this idea of a weekly physical rest is so forsaken is because people don't understand what the Bible has to say about rest. And so we talked about a paternal rest, a purpose rest, a perpetual rest, and a physical rest. And so again, if you want to uh, listen to that podcast, you can. We worked through those four together last week. Also, the notes are always online. So we, we tend to cover a lot of ground on Saturday nights. And so if we move faster than you would prefer, uh, the PDF is always online the following week. And you can download that. It has all the notes and all the verses. So tonight we're going to talk about a rest attitude and a rest action. Because we've got to change our attitude about rest. And we need to have an action plan if that change of attitude is going to produce any fruit in our lives. So I want to read out of John chapter 2. Rest, attitude, attitude. Somebody say attitude. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem in the temple area. He saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. The reason is that because they would not accept foreign money at the temple, and so they, they charged them these exorbitant high exchange rates to take advantage of people. Jesus made a whip with some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle. He scattered the money changers and coins all over the floor and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here and stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy. Come on, I love this verse. Passion for God's house will consume me. Passion for God's house will consume me. He didn't care that they were selling stuff that people needed because the Mosaic law had really specific requirements for what kinds of sacrifices you had to use for certain situations and different kinds of animals, different kinds of grains. The problem was that they were overcharging people, right? It was the bush gardens of 2,000 years ago, right? You get in there and you're trapped and you got to pay $25.92 for that turkey leg. But you're hungry, you're going to do it. Your kid wants that cattle corn. You're, you're going to spend the money. Let's talk about smokehouse for a minute. Praise the name of the Lord, right? I know, Jesus. They get you. This is why Jesus was upset, because they had him. This wasn't for entertainment. This is for their spiritual well-being. This is for their obedience to God, and people were in there taking advantage. And so Jesus, he got upset. He's turning over tables. 
What would cause you to turn over one of these tables here tonight? What would cause you? What if when you came in, I said to you, no, 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 no. These seats up front, these are for white people. If you're a person of color, go ahead, turn it over, Monica. Just do it. Just do it. Right? If you were to walk into a church and they were to say that, I hope you're looking for a table to turn over. I'll post your bail. You call me. I'll come get you. What, what, if, what if when you came in next week, we started handing out different colored wristbands? Gold, green, and copper, the color of a penny. And based on how much money you had determined where you got to sit. Oh, no, I'm sorry, ma'am. You've got a penny-colored bracelet on. You can't sit this close to the front. I hope you're looking for a table. What if, as you were coming in, we said to the ladies, oh, I'm sorry, you can't come into the sanctuary. There's a kitchen down the hall. You're going to have to fight my wife to turn over the table, right? No. Right? Are you with me? Now, some of these things, right, we're saying, right, I'm exaggerating for the sake of the moment. But there should be some things where if they were to happen, there would be a righteous indignation that would rise up inside of you and you would say, I'm not staying here. We're leaving. I'm getting my kids. We're going home because this is not a Christian place. What if we put before you a person that we wanted to elect as an elder? If you're new to church, that would be a person who's a spiritual leader for the congregation, for the church family. And what if we said, now, we're going to vote on this elder, but we want you to know that they worship other gods and they actively participate in other religions. I hope you're voting no. What, what, if, what if we said, now, now, we want to vote on this person who's an elder, but we want you to know it's kind of a sod job. They've got their own website, PayPal, eBay, it's all there. Let go. They make idols in their garage. They pray for them and they sell them to make a little extra money for missions. I hope you're voting no. What if they spoke with profanity, especially using God and Jesus as curse words? I hope you're voting no. What if they spoke disrespectfully to their parents and, and spoke of them publicly in derogatory ways? I hope you're voting no. Openly endorsed murder out of revenge and anger as being appropriate. Practiced an open marriage relationship with their spouse. Believed that dishonesty for personal gain is just a natural part of life. Giving false testimony was okay because people are guilty of something anyways. Envying their neighbors, possessions, they teach this. They, in fact, they lead a small group on it. It's a great way to motivate yourself to get more stuff. Right, who's voting yes for that person? What kind of church is putting that person up for election to be a leader in the first place? Now, those are nine important questions you should be asking yourself, right? I mean, you're looking at me and going, Fred, you're crazy. Of course, of course, any one of those we would say is, is so antithetical to Christianity, how, how, could you, how could you even suggest that that person should be a leader? Well, those are nine questions that come from something called the Nine Commandments. In fact, they made a movie about it called The Nine Commandments with Charlton Heston. Who's seen that movie? Yeah, no, you haven't seen that movie because it's not called The Nine Commandments. Because when you look in the Bible, there's not nine, there's ten. And what's the tenth one that I left out? Yes. How is it? How? How? That as a society, as a Christian community, talking about Christians everywhere in the world, 
How is it that we have gotten to a place where we're repulsed by the nine, but we don't really care that much about jaywalking in the church anymore? How is it? How is it that we've gotten to a place where this idea of not resting isn't a big deal? Because the moral context that God gives us about rest tells us that to God, it's a big deal to him. I think he put it as part of the 10 because he knew, right, because he's God and he knows it all, that there would be a point in time, and you know what? It didn't take long for them to get there because when you go back several centuries and read about Ezekiel, they were having a hard time with it right out of the gate, and nothing has seemed to change, and if anything, it's gotten worse. God is trying to help maintain an attitude in us towards rest that is as sacred to us as it is to him. Our attitude about a weekly Sabbath has got to change. There has to be a place where we restore it back to the place where when I read those nine, my reaction to someone that has forsaken the whole idea of a weekly Sabbath, my response to that emotionally should be the same as the others. If you're looking into your own life and you were to see any of those other nine, I would hope that something inside of you, you you would feel what the Bible calls conviction, that you would have this, this overwhelming sense of a need to change. We want you to feel that way about rest because God feels that way about rest. And that if God didn't believe that it was vital, then he wouldn't have made it part of creation It was so important to God that he did it himself in the beginning of time. Six days, Genesis tells us that God worked, and on the seventh day, he rested. Rest has been a part of the world from the beginning of time. In fact, I would say to you that before there were the other nine, rest was here. Right? The one that we've displaced is the one that precedes the other nine. You don't find any of those other ones until later, right? Rest even precedes, right? You could, maybe you could argue the, the first breaking of a, a commandment with Adam and Eve, right, in their disobedience, but specifically would be the one between Cain and Abel, but rest is the one that precedes all of those. Why is that? Because God is trying to say to you, and he's trying to say to me, we've got to get back to a place where we recognize that our lives are broken without it. Listen to Exodus 28 through 11. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now I'm going to talk about three words in particular in this text. And the first one is Sabbath. In the Hebrew, it's the word Shabbat. It means to repose. That is desist from exertion. It means to cease. It means to celebrate. It means to leave and to put away, meaning that you're leaving and put away out of the ordinary things and doing something different. It means to rest. It means to rid. It means to still. It means to take away. That's the, the word that God chose to call the Sabbath, the Shabbat. By keeping it holy, which is the Hebrew word kadash, it means to be clean, either ceremonially or morally. It means to appoint or bitter, consecrate or dedicate. It means hallowed. It means holy. It means prepared or proclaimed or purified or sanctified. Remember to observe the Shabbat day by keeping it kadash. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Shabbat day 
of rest. This is the word nuach. This is one of my favorite words in Hebrew. It means to rest. It means to be at rest. It means to settle down. It means to stay. It means to dwell. It means comfortable, convenient, and easygoing. When's the last time you had a day that was defined by comfortable, convenient, and easygoing? Dedicate to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you. It means your sons. It means your daughters, your male and female servants, which is really your sons and your daughters, your livestock, any foreigners that live among you. For six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he knew what? He rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Shabbat that day and is set apart as Kadash. These words are supposed to instruct how we feel our attitude towards rest. What are you doing to restore a sense of sacredness for rest in the world today? It's not just for you. It's the example that we're supposed to be setting for everyone else around us. Part of the reason why this church is here I mean here right now on a Saturday is because when we came here about 10 years ago, one of the things that God began to speak to us is that city life is supposed to be a church that gets the one back in the nine to make it 10 again. And so we're going to meet at a day and a time that makes it possible for most people. I know it's not everybody, but it's for most people. It gives them a day that can be comfortable and convenient and easygoing. We're supposed to be a church. Part of our message is to restore the sense of holiness and sacredness for what rest is supposed to be and was supposed to have been from the beginning of time. My attitude has to change. As my attitude begins to change, there should be some action steps that you're willing to take. As your awareness about rest, hopefully this teaching is changing your awareness about rest. And even being here tonight, your attitude towards rest is beginning to shift away from the practical and into the spiritual. And there should be some practical action steps that you're willing to take to begin to bring change. Call Bart, a famous theologian, said, Let things take their course with particular freedom distinct from weekday practice. To as much or as little as the day brings, the day should be free from compulsion. Wow. Isn't that powerful? How about a day that you wake up and it's free from compulsion? Free from compulsion means that you don't feel obligated in any way. As far as the practical routines of life. A day where, where you're free from compulsion, from all of these demands. And many of you, we know you well. You're, you, you live a full and productive life. And so you walk in this, this realm of demandedness that's on you. And God says to you, and he says to me, humanity as he created it cannot sustain itself without a break from that demand once a week. One out of every seven, we're supposed to step away from the compulsion of all the demands of the world and give ourselves permission to slow down so that we have the energy and the strength physically, emotionally, and spiritually to resume those demands the next week and for the rest of our lives. This road trip pace that we keep is wearing too many people out. It robs you of your destiny. It robs you emotionally from the relationships that are most important to you. 
And at some point, you and I have to make a decision as to whether or not we will submit and surrender ourselves to the sovereignty of God and trust that if he makes it so important in here, that it should be important in my life. Even if it's a big shift, even if it's a monumental change, this is part of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. I'm willing to make the changes that God demands of me because I trust that he always has my best interest at heart. Luke 6, 1 through 11. All right, let me turn there. Luke 6. Oh, I like this story. This is one of the misused, most misused texts when it comes to Sabbath that you're going to find used in churches today. What am I going to do? I'm going to do 1 through 11. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples broke off heads of grain and rubbed off the husks in their hands, and they ate the grain, right? They needed much better road trip snacks back in Jesus' day. Right? They're traveling. There was no Wawa, no Starbucks, no Bojangles with the chicken tender combo meal with the biscuit and the fries and the bow sauce and the sweet tea, Right? <laughs> Come on. Praise the name of the Lord. Can taste it now. They're traveling. They're hungry. They're just breaking off some grain. They're rubbing. They're just, they're eating. They needed to be sustained. They're a little snacky. Some Pharisees said, why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus replied, haven't you heard in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God. He broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests can eat. He also gave some to his companions. And Jesus added, the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Verse 6, and on another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. If he healed this man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward and then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this day a day to save life or a day to destroy it? So he looked around at them one by one and then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored Listen to their response. At this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss, discuss what to do with him. In one of the other Gospels, it says the part of the conversation Jesus asked them that if you had a sheep or, or, or another animal that fell into a ditch on the Sabbath, would you leave them in there till the following day or would you work to get them out? Now, why am I using this text? Because this text is used inappropriately by both camps. It's used inappropriately by people who say that you don't have to rest anymore because Jesus talks here about, about Sabbath being a, a gift to us. We covered that last week. But it's also misused for people that are legalistic about Sabbath. And, and then there are people in the world today that are just as guilty of the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They have so many rules that are connected with the Sabbath that it's taken the rest right out of it. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's not doing away with rest. 
There are people in this camp that use this teaching to say this is the moment in time where the ten really became the nine. Jesus said, well, the Sabbath is not what you thought it was. You're free to not rest anymore. Now, I think a lot of churches teach that because they're afraid that their workforce that's volunteer-based on Sunday will begin to pull back. And so for reasons that are self-serving, churches don't like this teaching about rest. It makes them nervous. We're not going to be nervous about truth. right? If you've got to be nervous about truth, and if you've got to compromise truth for your church to function, then I would say maybe the church shouldn't function at all. Jesus is saying here in this text something very simple. The Sabbath is rest-based. It's not rule-based. It's rest-based, not rule-based. Meaning that if your rules have removed the possibility of rest, then the rules are broken, not the Sabbath day. See, there was something in Jesus' day called the tradition of the elders. Meaning that the Mosaic law is written, it's plain, it's clear, right? Everything that they were supposed to do and not to. But just like us with the New Testament today, we interpret the scripture, and based on how we interpret it, we begin to teach how to practically apply it to our lives. So in some sense, we still do this idea of the tradition of the elders today. The problem with Jesus' day is that they had added so many rules to the weekly Sabbath, that people were so stressed out about what they should and shouldn't do that that day became the opposite of what it was supposed to be. And it made Jesus upset. So he's saying to them, you guys have gotten it all wrong. And those of you who are supposed to be leading others, you're wearing people out with all of these extra rules. In fact, it was called your yoke. If you were a rabbi, your interpretation of the Mosaic law was called a yoke. Now, they use that word because there is a burden to obedience. So when Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he's speaking to a Jewish audience as a Jewish rabbi himself. And what he was saying to them, my yoke is perfect. It's still a yoke. There's still rules, but the rules If you'll yoke up to me, what you're going to find is that it's going to liberate you. What you're going to find is that the rules that I have for you are going to set you free. And one of those rules, it's taking a day of rest once out of every seven days. Jesus is not abandoning the Sabbath. He's trying to restore the restfulness of this day that his Father created in the beginning of time. So I'm going to give you Eight practical steps of how you can begin the work of a weekly Sabbath. The first one is you should pray, because it always starts there. If you're looking at your schedule and you're saying, Fred, I hear what you're saying. I don't disagree with anything that you've taught about over these last couple of weeks, but if you saw my schedule, you would understand. God would understand. You got to pray. I'm just saying, That if the way that we're living our lives makes it impossible for us to walk in obedience to God's word, we've got to do, we've we've got to do some soul searching about how we have to change our lives to fit into this book. Pray, talk to God. Right in James chapter one talks about if anyone lacks wisdom, we just have to ask. The Holy Spirit is there to give it to us. The Holy Spirit is there to help you begin to find a routine and a flow of life so that you can walk. 
in the reality of a weekly Sabbath. Number two is you've got to invest. You've got to invest. Part of resting is going to be going and doing things as a family. Part of resting means that you're going to find hobbies that you can do together. See, rest is not about a sedentary lifestyle. That's not what we're saying. Your day of rest might need to be sedentary because you're that tired, but, but you can rest actively. The measure of whether or not you've rested is how you feel the day after. You with me? If you feel rejuvenated, if your day, like our Sabbath is Monday, and so if, if you feel rejuvenated on Tuesday, even if you were active on Monday, then you rested, because the idea is rejuvenating yourself. So what you do from, from one Sabbath to the next, it might change based on the energy that you have. If you're a family, you're married, you've got lots of kids, different people rest in different ways. You, you've got to be willing in your budget to set aside some money so that you have a budget so that you can go and do things to rest together as a family. You've got to be willing to protect your Sabbath. The devil does not want you to get a hold of this truth. I'm just telling you right now. That's why we showed that clip. He's going to find a way. He's going to find a way to fight against you. He does not want you to be stronger. He does not want you to be more rested. He does not want you to be more focused. The destiny that you have, it necessitates that your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being is intact. And the weekly Sabbath is one of the great gifts that God gave to us to ensure it. Look at Mark 6.4. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. What's Jesus talking about there? He's talking about it's, it's hard to break free from the expectations of others. It's hard to break free from the expectations of others. If you're a person that's always on the go, you're the person, this is, right, this is your life. You're one road trip after another. Your whole life is this, this pace. And you begin to talk about resting and taking a day and pulling back, and your friends are going to go like, I don't, who, who are you? Right? It's hard to break free. You've got to be prepared that you're going to have some resistance from people who don't think that you're going to stick it out. You've got to pray. You have to invest. You've got to protect. You've got to find some flexibility. You've got to find some flexibility. It's another teaching for another time, but God does not care what day your Sabbath falls onto. He doesn't care. It's the, it's the difference in the, in the Mosaic Law. The, the, the practice we don't keep anymore, but the principles we do. So for the Jewish, the Sabbath was on what day? It's on a Saturday, right? But they started, their, when Christianity was born and Jesus rose from the dead, there, it was called the Lord's Day. That was, called, that was Sunday because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so they still kept their Jewish Sabbath and then they went to church on Sunday, right? Because that's the day that they were celebrating the resurrection of Christ. We still celebrate the resurrection of Christ on Sunday. You know how we celebrate it? By sleeping in. Because rest is spiritual. Who said who said the only way that you can honor and celebrate the resurrection of Christ is through a public church service? Who made that rule? If you can find it in here, you let me know. That's why we talk about 12 pathways here at City Life. All 12 are important to God. So for us, what Sundays has become, what Sundays is supposed to be for many of you, is it's about rest, it's about reaching, and it's about relationship. Three of our 12 pathways. It gives you a chance to be in your neighborhood, in your community, begin to engage people. Because you know what? A lot of those people, if they're at home on Sunday morning, they're probably not going to church anywhere. Great opportunity to begin to talk to people.
You tracking with me? Now, your schedule might be such that your day has to move around. This is the part of flexibility. You're in the military. You're in law enforcement. You work in retail, right? You work in food service. It might be that your day off is moving or it's a moving target all the time. Then your Sabbath is going to be shifting and moving all the time. So it might not be that your Sabbath technically falls one out of every seven days because it's going to fall. Your Sabbath might start midday on one day and finish midday on the next day. You've got to find some flexibility in your life. If you're overly rigid, you're going to get frustrated and you're going to give up. If the best that you can do in the coming week is just a half a day, then start there. How many perfectionists are in the room? I'm raising my own hand because I'm one of them, right? Yeah. We're the worst procrastinators in the world. No, you know it's true. You know why? Because if it can't be perfect, we don't want to do it at all. No, it's true. That's why sometimes perfectionists, they have the most cluttered desks. They have the, they have the most unkept homes. Their finances can be in the, right? You know, because we're, we have this, this mindset. If it can't be perfect, I don't want to do it. You, you can't approach rest that way. You're, you, for some of you, you've been doing what you've been doing for 40 years. It's not going to get undone next week all of a sudden. You've got to give yourself some flexibility to step in. And, and, and even if you can just to get a half a day, start there and let it grow with seed in the ground. If you have a family, these are family days. If you're married, don't wake up tomorrow. Tell your wife. Going to play golf for the rest of the day. Pastor said I'm supposed to have a day off. I'll see you at 6. Right? Because we have marriage counseling that we do for you here at City Life. Right? If you're married, if you got, you got to figure this out together. Now, if you're a naturally introverted person like I am, then you need time away from people to rejuvenate sometimes. So part of your Sabbath might be some alone time, and then part of your Sabbath is going to be together. Right? You tracking with me? If you're single, if you're by yourself, then you, you, you don't, you're not going to have this complexity. Then, but when, if, if your plan one day is to get married, then those are some of the things that you're going to have to be willing to change to accommodate the personality of the person that one day is going to be your husband or your wife. And if you're newly married, or maybe you're not newly married, but one day you want to have kids, right? all of it's going to change again. You've got to keep changing it to accommodate the dynamic of the personality and the preferences of, as your family grows. If you're in a family, you've got to find a path forward together as a family. And it might be a combination of some together, some alone. It might be some being sedentary. It might be active. All of that can easily be worked into one day. It's a family day. Number six, others. Others. Learn from other people. If what we're talking about tonight, you're like, this is crazy. But I need it. You should get in touch with us. Other people who are leaders here in the church, if you're brand new and you don't even know who that is, we're easy to get a hold of. We're connected to every form of media imaginable. Right? We're out there. Ask questions. If you need to grab lunch or have coffee, we'll get together with you. We'll put you in touch with someone else if you would rather do that, right? If, if you're like 22 years old and you're like, I don't want to meet with you, you're 50, what, right? I'm, that's cool. I'm good with that. I'm all right. I'll buy your lunch, though. Just saying. There you go. All right. 
If you want to meet with somebody, I'm just saying, there, there's such a diverse congregation here. We will find someone that you can relate to to sit down and begin to have a conversation who's doing the stuff that we're teaching. It's changing families' lives at the City Life Church. Changing their lives because they're resting. Number seven, you've got to give yourself grace. For some of you, you're going to do this next week. And you're going to be so mad at me at the end of your Sabbath because you're going to be depressed. You're going to be sad. You're going to be like, I don't know what was in that guy's mug up there. But I think he lied to all of us. For some of you, you're so addicted to adrenaline, you will literally deal with symptoms of depression as you begin to rest. It's true. It's true. I know people that the pace of life that they live, they're so used to being amped up with this, this pace that when they slow down, they struggle. I'm just saying, you got to fight through that. And if that happens to you, it should be all the more reason why you need exactly what we're talking about today. Because if you're that driven, you are wearing yourself out and you're wearing out the people around you. So for you, that Sabbath day, as you get started, it might not be the gift that it's supposed to be at first, but you got to trust God. you got to trust his wisdom. you got to trust truth and trust that you're going to get into a place where it begins to rejuvenate you like it's supposed to. Number eight, you just, you have to rest. And we've talked about this a little bit already. Different people rest in different ways. The question is on the day after, are you feeling rejuvenated? Find a pace of life where all of the truth of God's word can fit into the reality of your week. And I'm just telling you, as you begin to put these 12 pathways into practice, that there's going to be something that grows inside of you, and it's called the character of Christ. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Matthew 16, 27, this is what this series is all about. The series that we're entitling Let's Praxis, P-R-A-X-I-S. We've got a whole website devoted to our discipleship model, www.letspraxis.com. It's all out there. If you're new, if you're, if you're new to the church, find someone in a blue shirt. We've got a little booklet that lays it all out. I know I've talked to some of you this week, and I've said we've got a book for you. Find a person in a blue shirt and say, Pastor Fred said to give me one of those books. They'll give it to you. We want you to understand this model that we believe of how we go forward to grow in our relationship with Christ. Because all of us, Matthew 16, 27 is going to be a reality for us. Every single one of us. For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and he will judge people according to their deeds. That word deeds in the Greek is the word praxis. That's the word that we, that we borrow to talk about our discipleship model. Stand with me. Because we want to be a church. We're going to make mistakes, right? Because we're all people. But the mistake we don't want to make, have you walked with us for any amount of time? Let's say you walk with us for the rest of your life. We don't want you to get into that conversation with Christ and realize that we failed you. Realize that, that we didn't have an honest conversation with you about what it means to be a devoted follower of Christ. The Bible has some just really clear things that it asks of us. And as a church, we've made a decision to talk a little bit less about the things that we're supposed to stop doing and pick up the conversation a little bit more about the things that we're supposed to start doing. 
because we believe, and you've heard me say this before, and I'm going to keep saying it until the end of my days, if I do the things that I'm supposed to do, I'm going to be a whole lot less likely to do the things that I shouldn't. It's about the principle of displacement. As the character of Christ grows inside of me, it begins to push out the ungodly attitudes that don't belong. Rest is one of the 12. They're all important. But if you've only got 10, 8, 2, 11, all 12, all 12. Father, for every person here who's struggling with rest being missing, I pray that last week and this week is going to give them a vision for the Sabbath, the Sabbath that you want them to have, the Sabbath that you created them to discover, the Sabbath that you created to, for them to be a prize, to be a gift. Father, change our attitude that we would see it as you see it. It would be as sacred to us as it is to you. And help us to begin to take some of these steps so that we have the physical, emotional, and spiritual energy we need to accomplish everything that you're going to ask us to do. Keep your, I just want to invite you to keep your heads bowed just for a moment. Just keep your head bowed. I'm just, if you're here tonight, and as you look back into the story of your life, you can't find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ. I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up. Just in this moment of privacy, just, just lift your hand up. If you say, you know what, Fred, I, you know, I appreciate all this talk about the Sabbath, but can we just back up? I'm not even sure I am a Christian. Just raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to get up in front of anybody or not lead you on to do the next thing. I just want to create an opportunity for you to just say to me and just before God, God, I, I need to learn a little bit more about what this thing is about following Jesus. Anybody here tonight? Father, we thank you for the people that are gathered here. We thank you for the devotion to Christ that's represented in this room. And maybe for the person that's a little bit reluctant to take that step, Father, of raising their hand, I pray that they would take whatever step that you're leading them to. Because we know, Jesus, that what you did for us this table, the good news. It's not just about the heaven that's to come, it's about the heaven that we're supposed to find now. And let it be, Father, that we would all devote our lives to live the greatest adventure that we could ever find as a follower of Christ. And it's in your name we pray. Let's worship together.